I'm not going to back down from this discussion because although some people, particularly in the independent Baptist world, are antagonistic toward an emphasis on expository mm-hmm. preaching, I am saying that it needs to be more emphasized and more practiced if those kinds of churches are ever going to make it. You're listening to an ongoing discussion on life, ministry, and leadership. This is the Brian Sams Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Brian Sams Podcast. My name is Brian Sams, your host. Welcome back. And today I'm excited to be joined with my friend, Jason Alvarez. Jason, welcome back to the Brian Sams Podcast. Thank you, my friend. You know, Aaron Chan is on a very well-deserved vacation at the Absolutely. moment. Absolutely. We have been going through some major, major financial things of, of finishing up some land deals that we had to do, as well as finishing up the purchase of our own property here. And boy, he's been busy. And, and so have you, honestly. Yeah. I guess you don't really need a vacation. Only Aaron does. Uh, yeah, apparently. Well, you know what I don't like is when Aaron leaves, I become the default Aaron. That's and everybody exactly has right. All these questions. I know. I, I asked, you, asked you a couple this morning. I was like, <laughs> yeah, hey, right? do you can you do this? And, and uh, well, Aaron, if you listen to this, we think it really stinks when you're out of town. Come so back, bro. We need you. Back, like bro. now, now we're dying. <laughs> Church is about to shut down, bro. <laughs> <laughs> There's all kinds of problems waiting for you when you get back. Hey, look, so Jason, today we're actually finishing up. This is episode eight of the preaching series that we've been doing. I just walked out of the studio recording some more lectures for our upcoming classes at Veritas Baptist College. You guys can check that out at vbc.edu. This fall and spring will be the inaugural preaching courses with me, Kurt Skelly, Carrie Schmidt, and Kenny Baldwin. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. What do you think about that lineup there for preaching classes, Jason? Man, I wish I had them in Bible college. You know, all I had was you. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, a, yeah. what an absolute yeah, like, yeah. disappointment, man. <laughs> no, honestly, guys, I, mean, I had two Bible college professors for homiletics, one of which was Brian Sams. And I've taken all of the information he's given me over the years away with me, and it's helped me just in my life, in my teaching. And it's really been tremendously helpful. But to have the other guys who I only knew of in Bible college, to have them in and teach and see the phenomenal things that they're doing in both in their ministries, in their lives, in their sermons. It's incredible. I mean, I cannot believe the content that's going on in just these classes. And I've watched several of the lectures and know which ones are coming. And I'm telling you right now, I just don't know of a place where you're going to get better instruction on preaching. There's two semesters. Semester one is sermon preparation. Semester two is sermon delivery. And we're going to cover all the bases and hopefully really encourage some guys in their preaching ministry. So check that out if you will. Well, today I'm actually going to talk a little bit about preaching. I'm going to talk about kind of my some of my journey and philosophy of preaching and hopefully this will be encouragement to you. So Jason, why don't you uh why don't you get us into some questions here for me today? Yeah, absolutely. Because all the guys that you mentioned, I mean, they were in the hot seat, right? Now it's your turn. Brian Sam's in the hot seat here talking about preaching. So what I'll do is I'll read some of these questions to you. They're coming from the mailbag. So one thing I forgot to mention is that People who've been submitting questions have wanted to stay anonymous, and I totally get it. You know, mm-hmm. in the IFB world, I, you're, you and I were kind of outcasts because mm-hmm. of the viewpoints we hold, and a, a lot of guys are really afraid of that. So some of these questions have come from people who just want the question read, and that's fine. Let's do that. Let's read these questions. Let's go over preaching. Let's go over these topics. But if you guys want to submit a question in the future, we will not tell who you are. We'll just read the question if it's good content. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure. So you go ahead, man. Yep, absolutely. So first question, what brought you to expository preaching versus topical preaching? What really started your journey for all this? Yeah, actually, I would say I would credit my initial journey in college. I went to kind of a non-denominational Christian college, 
And they were very, very intent in the classroom on expository preaching, which I grew a great appreciation for. There were things there that I didn't agree with and maybe still don't. But in, in preaching, I was fortunate to have two really great teachers. Dr. Steve Hankins was one of them. Dr. Kent Ramler. These guys instilled in me a, a love for expository preaching. And really, I would just say kind of almost from the beginning of my journey, I decided that that was a preferred method. And really, just from the very start of preaching, I started preaching that way. So, you know, fortunately for me, Jason, I never really was exposed to topical preaching as a real philosophical mm -hmm. grid. Mm -hmm. uh, I know many other instances of Bible college where they actually teach that. I mean, they'll, right. in their homiletics classes, they'll get up and they'll say, hey, pick a hymn and write a sermon out of a hymn. Well, I'm not writing sermons out of hymns. Right. I'm, right. <laughs> I'm writing sermons out of the Bible. And then, you know, the other sad thing, Jason, is all these, you know, frankly, clowns that are just being very vocal against this emphasis on expository preaching versus topical preaching. Right. They'll say things like, it doesn't matter, just preach. No, it actually does matter. It matters a lot, especially if somebody's unsafe sitting in the audience. Yeah, and then just building the sheep on the word of God rather than the opinions of men. That's right. It is a big deal. That's right. And it's not a snob thing. It's just a biblical thing. And I want my sermon to be text-driven. I want it to be guided by and shaped by the text. So I would say I'm not going to back down from this discussion because although some people, particularly in the independent Baptist world, are antagonistic toward an emphasis on expository mm -hmm. preaching, I am saying that it needs to be more emphasized and more practiced if those kinds of churches are ever going to make it. I totally agree. Yeah. I totally agree. When I first got saved, so I didn't get saved in a Baptist church. I, I didn't even get saved with the KJV. I got saved with the NIV in a Calvary chapel. That's incorruptible. Scene, yeah, that's Jason, exactly actually. what I'm saying is the preaching there was so soft because it was topical preaching. You were an evangelist for a long time. Now you're a pastor. So you got to go into places, burn them down with the word of God, mm. jump out, but you can't do that anymore. How has preaching changed for you from being an evangelist to now being a pastor? Yeah, sure. I think probably the long-term view of preaching is probably the most significant thing that's changed. I think probably when I was an evangelist, preaching in churches and revival meetings, camps, conferences, all the things I was privileged to do, which I still do some of them. I will say this as a pen here, let me pen this. I think my preaching as an itinerant preacher has significantly changed because mm -hmm. now I'm shaped with the thought of local church ministry. Right, right. So I would say, I would say the long-term view is the key here that I now preach in long-term view. I'm not thinking what's going to happen in this week of meetings. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking how our lives going to be shaped and built over the long term. So I guess I'd be much more slow and methodical in the way I think about what this sermon is going to do. I hate to admit it. I think me, like many other preachers probably have at times allowed their identity to be wrapped up in the response of the sermon. And I got to tell you, if you are wrapped up in the response of a sermon, like how many people liked it, how many people shared it, mm -hmm, how many mm -hmm. people got saved, right. how many people were at the altar. I see that all the time. Man, God bless tonight. The altars were full. Right. You know, and, <laughs> and I used to think that same way. I don't want to be cautious in my criticism here, but the problem with that is that you can either be filled up with pride, number one, thinking that somehow you did something that right. generated that. Right. It wasn't the Lord, it was you. It was, it was your, your, yeah. your one line, your one right. tagline, right? <laughs> or number two, despair. I mean, all of a sudden, if somebody doesn't respond, if somebody doesn't come forward, if somebody doesn't pat you on the back and want them you to sign their Bibles, all of a sudden you were a failure. 
And I would just say to you, neither are true. My acceptance in preaching has nothing to do with the audience response. My acceptance in preaching is knowing that I please the Lord. Furthermore, when it comes to pastoring, I am feeding sheep. I am building biblical literacy. I'm grounding believers in the truth. I am shaping people's lives. And I'm doing that through line upon line, sequential expositional preaching. And that is how my ministry has fundamentally changed. One of the things I've noticed is in the beginning, when I first came on staff here, a lot of the preaching was very just toward the people, very broad based. But now we're getting very specific in our intention behind the messages. Like last week, we had a whole PowerPoint presentation, very specific to volunteerism, what we were doing with River City Go and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And that's tied directly into the message that we had for sending people out, you yeah. know, starting satellite churches and so forth. And yeah. it's just very pointed with what you're doing now, four years later, compared to how it was when you, I think we're still in the evangelist mindset. I was too. And, and I think at the very beginning of preaching here, I was really motivational. I was really trying to get the army up and rising again. I mean, I was looking out at Ezekiel 37, mm-hmm. Valley of Dry Bones, so to speak. Right, exactly. And I was just trying to like mobilize an army. Now I'm realizing that probably had I gone back, I would have probably tried to go deeper than wider at the beginning and just really try to ground a philosophy mm-hmm. in people rather than mobilizing a people. And yeah. that was a huge difference for me. Of course. And it has definitely shown in the preaching in, in just your growth. I'm sure if anybody listening here would go back to the early days of our podcast, listen to those sermons versus now you'll see the growth, that yeah. whole trajectory of where you were going from an evangelist to a pastor. I agree with that. Yep. Let's jump to the next question here. What are some of the tools or influences that help you prepare for sermons and what resources are you using regularly? Yeah. So I would say there's a couple just really basic and simple ones that I use all the time. Blueletterbible.org and preceptaustin.com. Those are just two I use literally every day of my life. These are online free biblical resources. Blue Letter Bible is what I use predominantly for word studies, for Greek and Hebrew work, for parsing and other, you know, things. Precept Austin is what I use for background information, commentaries, etc. A lot of great information there. I obviously use once I get to the end of sermon preparation and I start using commentaries and outside resources, uh, John MacArthur is a staple. Yep. Holman Bible Commentary yeah. series is a staple. That's good. Uh, Christ-centered exposition series is a staple. That's edited by Danny Aiken, I think, from uh, Southeastern. I'm using conservative, theologically grounded, philosophically expository Bible students and preachers. Mm-hmm. Usually also one thing that I like to do is listen to a sermon or two. At the end of my prep, I try to listen to a sermon or two mm-hmm. on a passage. Yeah. A lot of times I'll do that when I'm working out or something. Alistair Begg is a go-to. Oh, he's awesome. You know, he's just a very, very mm-hmm. good preacher. If H.B. Charles has preached on anything in that text, I'll usually listen to it because yep. he's always just does a great job. Right, right. So that's kind of my format. My resources and the tools, obviously I do 100% of sermon prep on a computer. Um, I don't really use books. Um, I use all online resources. I do have Logos, Mm -hmm. so that is another advantage. In fact, this morning before I came here to record, I was using Logos resources. I was looking up words. I was reading all the commentaries. I was in the Holman commentary this morning. And man, I got some great ideas. I mean, it it literally uh, helped me shape some of the introduction of the sermon, which had already been largely written. I would say that's probably the resources I go to. In the last podcast, we talked about sermon illustrations with Jake Potter. Mm-hmm. So where are you getting a lot of your sermon illustrations? Because you talked about his, but where are yours coming yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. So I read, man. I read broadly. I also keep news feeds and social media, Fox News, ESPN, uh, I think USA Today, I, local news. 
Jacksonville. Uh, I would recommend any preacher follow anything on social media that's mm-hmm. relative to your own local community. Yeah. I read a lot of books. I read tons of books. You guys, you guys, I'm always recommending a book always, to you guys. Always, I probably yeah. read, I have no idea. I probably mean, about I, 20 books a year. Probably. At least. I would say mm-hmm. that'd be minimum. Yeah. I, I'm just always got my hands on a book. Yeah. I listen to audiobooks tons. Right. I listen to them when I'm exercising and so on and so forth. And then I would say, you know, still listen to a lot of preaching. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'll, I'll still sermons from that. Sermon illustrations. Illustrations, yeah, yeah, that. not sermons. <laughs> <laughs> but the key to that, I would say, is if I use an illustration I hear from somebody, and those are typically like historical illustrations, yeah. you never take a personal illustration from someone else. Hello. No, right, of course. But I know guys that have done that. <laughs> um, you know, And then I would go verify the story. I'd look it up. I'd make sure the dates were right, the basic story was right to reuse an illustration because early in my ministry, I got in trouble with that one time. I stole an illustration. I mean, this was like, I'm talking about, I was in college. I stole an illustration and I used it and somebody called me out on it. It was off. It was wrong. And it was jacked up. And I realized that was a mistake I'll never make again. Yeah. Just hijacking a sermon. I also have a, just a general pool of sermon illustrations that I keep. I use Evernote. I use a tagging system. So if I'm preaching on the love of God, et cetera, I'm going to look that up in there to see if there's something that works. Also, when I use one of those illustrations, I tag it with the name, the title, and the date of the sermon that I preached. Because, you know, you definitely don't want, you know, I preach so many sermons here. I mean, how many sermons have I preached here in four years? My fourth anniversary is next week. So four years, I mean, I preach a couple hundred sermons here yeah. just on Sunday morning. Right, right. So you can't remember where you use sermon illustrations, so you have to have them notated. Those would be primary sources for me of sermon illustration. And then, of course, the personal life, personal stories. Sometimes, you know, even when you listen to another preacher and they use a personal illustration, it'll jar your memory of something that happened actually That's in right. your life that you can use as well. Let's drill down a little bit on sermon illustrations. Is there any particular way that you feel you introduce them into the sermon? Because... A lot of people don't know this, but it sounds like when you're preaching, you're winging it a lot of times, but you're just really good at that because I've seen your sermon illustrations and you're almost word for word going Mm -hmm. exactly what's on paper, but you make it flow so naturally. So what's, what's the secret behind that? Well, I've always said about sermon illustrations, don't tell me, show me, meaning don't tell me I'm going to illustrate it this way. Or let me share it with you an illustration because mm-hmm. that's just weak. Just yeah, right. get into the illustration. I would also say, secondly, I work an immense amount on internalization. Most people don't think I use sermon notes. I do. Every sermon that I preach has between seven and eight pages of print. Mm-hmm. You've seen my sermon oh, notes. Oh, yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. And, and they're fairly detailed. I have all my sermon, all my verses are written out. A lot of my explanation is written All out. All color-coded, I mean, broken yeah. down into paragraphs. I mean, it's very extensive, and people don't realize that. You're just good at just putting it together. Well, I, you know, I just lectured on finalization in a sermon prep, and I think it's important that what your final product is, how you put a sermon together at the end, is just as important as the development of the sermon itself. I mean, if you take, like, something that looks like a term paper, a research paper to the pulpit, it's going to be hard to communicate that. You know, I work on it. Internalization is... Frequency, recency, and intensity. Mm-hmm. Frequency, how often did I review this manuscript? Yep. Recency, in, in what proximity to delivery did I review the manuscript? Mm-hmm. And then intensity, how much of mental and spiritual effort did I give to the sermon? Yeah. That gives me what I call a freedom in delivery. Uh, you know, that's not even counting the dependency on the Holy Spirit and the other elements that go into the actual moment of delivery. But the law of familiarity is what I just gave you, being familiar with your material so that you can essentially preach without notes. That's how that works. Well, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because I know 
typically you're trying to get your sermons to me. And, and for those of you who don't know, I, I'm the guy who does the media in the church and put the sermons together for the PowerPoints, all those things. So pastor tries to get his sermons to me by Wednesday. That means the entire outline, all the notes, any illustrations that you would have are ready to go by Wednesday. Mm -hmm. That leaves you basically four days to get familiar with the sermon, which you do. You revisit that. Oh, absolutely. I give Jason even detailed as it may seem. It's still a bit of a skeleton. I usually finish the sermon on Thursday, like completed, like it's done, ready to fire. Then Friday and even Saturday, I can give myself a little bit to review. And that's that law of recency and frequency and intensity. Look, guys, if you're finishing your sermons on Saturday night, you're going to fail. I'm telling you mm, that's right. that that if you're if you it's, it's the old Saturday night special. If you finish your sermon on Saturday night, you have no time to review. You have no time to let it saturate. You have look. You have no time to edit. You have no time to review. Look, that's like turning a first draft of a research paper. You turn it in, and you know I know in five seconds if my students in college turned in a half butt research paper. <laughs> And I can tell they didn't spell check it. They didn't mm -hmm. edit it. They didn't footnote it correctly. Same thing's true in sermons. So if you finish your sermons on Saturday night, you are putting your first draft to your people on Sunday morning. I'm telling you right now, your people deserve better than the first draft. They deserve a final copy. That's really good. And I like the fact that you brought in your experience. So let's jump into that. So just to change topics a little bit here for the sake of time, you have a lot of collegiate experience. You're still right now in school. Most people don't know this. You're actually working on your doctorate. You are a full-time dean of students. You're a full-time teacher. There's so much you have going on. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about how that experience has made you a better communicator, what it's doing for you in the pulpit, and how you could see it helping you going forward. Oh, sure, yeah. College has changed the way that I communicated and preached. Number one, when I first started teaching in college some 10 years ago, actually 11 years ago now, I was asked to preach, or excuse me, teach preaching, which was overwhelming. I didn't know that was going to happen. And to be honest with you, I'd been preaching for nine years or so prior to that in evangelism, and I never one time thought about what I did. I just did it. I mean, I kind of knew generally, but but in order to teach it, you got to know it. There's nothing like teaching like solidifies your knowledge of a certain subject. If I'm going to get up and share it with you, I better know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, the lecture I just gave a few minutes ago on a video camera, I mean, that's after years of study and research. It was a a 30-minute message with about 20 years of experience behind it. Right. So the thing about teaching is it forced me to break down my sermon prep process into digestible and understandable terms to give to students to reproduce. Nothing like teaching, man. So that totally transformed me. That that forced me to think through the process. I have an introductory lecture called an overview of the steps of sermon preparation. It's actually a lecture I just delivered. I would love to deliver that in, in any places I could. It just shows kind of in synopsis form what happens from the very first second of sermon preparation to the end. And that teaching forced me to basically break it all down to where now what I practice is what I teach. And so even forcing myself to learn it so that I could teach it made me communicate it better overall. And then I think, you know, just with communication is just experience is probably the best thing with, with overall communication skills. There are certain rhetorical devices that you can use. I don't need to get into that right now. But as far as eye contact, familiarity with your sermon, freedom from notes, all those things because I had to teach it. And then, of course, you know, when I was out in California teaching and then I would step up to preach in chapel, here's the thing. I had 150 eyes of just my preacher boys looking at me and I'm looking at them and they're watching me model. 
<laughs> what I said right. they were supposed to do. So, man, that made me like really craft the art so that I wasn't telling them to do one thing and then not doing it myself. So I think that really helped me. No, and that's absolutely perfect. And I know that's going to help a lot of guys here because most after Bible college are going to go in and continue to get educated and continue to grow. And I'm just thinking back to the podcast episode that you did with Kerry Schmidt, where you talked about there is a difference between having a deep collegiate background, being here a pastor in the South and the different mindsets to whom you're yeah. preaching, the, the preparation, the communication, all of that goes behind it. And the fact that you never stop growing in this area is something that I really think our listeners should pay attention to. Well, I think that learning and communication, learning and preaching is a, is a, is something that you never stop doing. And I think for me, I view myself as a pastor, not outside of the greenhouse and Carrie, if you listen to this, you'll appreciate that. I just use your greenhouse model. Uh, <laughs> I am not outside of the greenhouse managing the greenhouse. I'm in the greenhouse growing with the congregation. So for me, I believe that a pastor who doesn't continue to grow, this is one of the huge mistakes of a bad philosophy of ministry, is that there's like, if you have this independent Baptist mindset of how things are supposed to be done and what a mature Christian looks like, you can hit a lid. A mature Christian goes soul winning on Saturdays, wears a certain uniform, That's right. doesn't watch certain things, doesn't do certain things, mm -hmm. and you just have this checklist. And here's the thing, once you reach that, you're a mature Christian. The problem with that is where do you grow from there? Right. So those things are just false. Same thing with preaching. If you think that just a certain set of homiletical or hermeneutical rules make you a good preacher and you never yeah, have to learn alliteration, anything else. Right, as long as you got your alliterated yeah. points. Oh yeah, good. of course, you got to alliterate. <laughs> Even if you're not preaching the Bible, at least alliterate yeah, right, because yeah, exactly. we all know <laughs> that if you have your 5S outline, you know, standards, soul winning, scriptures, separation, and Southern Baptist, if you have those five things in your sermon, you know it's going to be good. So it doesn't matter yeah, right. what you preach, right? Exactly. Hold the line on this, 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 and this. Don't quit this, this, and this, and this. And it's, I mean, literally, it's just iconic. It is absolutely the way some guys preach. It's mm -hmm. terrible. Yeah. Um, and, and when you stop growing, that's exactly what happens. You become, yeah, right. You're absolutely you become right a about puppet. That. <laughs> well, all right. So now that we've given a glimpse into your mind and a lot's going on in there, what is it that you want to share with our listeners about advice, some encouragement about beginning pastors, beginning preachers, how they sharpen up? You know, what helped you be sharp? How do you stay sharp? And what encouragement would you give? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, I would tell a young pastor to not preach for the show, to not preach for the pizzazz, so to speak, of it, to not preach to see results, to not preach for the big response but to preach with feeding the sheep in mind. I mean, I will not budge one inch on encouraging a young pastor to preach expositional, sequential, book, line upon line sermons because mm -hmm. it's the way to feed the flock. How can you obey the admonition to, to teach the whole counsel of God if you don't do that? So avoid the trap of trying to do something impressive, try to make a big splash, Focus on doing routine, mundane things faithfully over the long haul rather than doing bigger things faster and mm -hmm. better with more recognition. Secondly, I would say this, completely untether yourself from any other opinions of men or people 
and commit yourself to the book. And I know we say we're committed to the book, but we're really not. There are preachers that are probably listening to this and some that won't, who literally, there are things that they won't do in their church that they even know they should do in their church. If they were going to do it to please God, they would do it. But because of some other pastor or some other identity structure within the independent Baptist or any group for that matter, they won't do it because Mm -hmm. they're fearful. And if a man is controlling your pulpit, not the Holy Spirit, you're in big trouble. To me, it frees yourself. It allows you to preach the word. It frees you from from your identity being wrapped up in responses and making big splashes. It just makes you that faithful shepherd of God's flock. It will keep you there over the long haul. It, it makes a huge difference in the yeah, way you did do you, I remember you preached, or did, did we just do a podcast on ministry idols? Yeah. What was? Yeah, yeah. So I, that's probably a whole other subject, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, there were ministry idols. Why don't we just bridge that to maybe one of these next upcoming episodes? But essentially... What God did in my first four years, really probably the first two, was he smashed certain ministry idols that were erected in my heart that I didn't even mm-hmm. know they were there. Right. Uh, things like fear of man, things like materialism, things like, frankly, lack of compassion, things like results identity rather than gospel identity. Yeah. And I could go on. But the, the truth is, guys, you got to get those idols out if you're going to purely preach the word and purely be led by the Holy Spirit and purely have God's, frankly, God's power on your ministry, it won't come unless you commit kind of in the areas that I just described. That's exactly the point. I mean, I remember when we were supposed to have a staff meeting, you said, we're not doing a staff meeting, guys. We're going to talk about ministry idols. And you laid this all down in front of us as a staff. And it was like a light bulb went off, Mm. right? From that point on, the ministry started to grow because we kind of just let go of some of the things that we thought Oh, you know, yeah. were important when they really weren't. They were just, yeah. you know, being tied back to either California It's funny, Jason. I think else. our ministry at River City, uh, as, as many people as have complimented or from the outside have looked and said, oh, wow, it looks like it's going great there. The fact of the matter is I don't think it really got started till last summer. Right. And Agreed. in my third, the end of my third year, we had a little bit of a crisis and God was working me through this and he was forging some things in my heart. I think right now we're just now starting to taste yeah what real ministry looks like. And as I kind of wrap this up, last night I had dinner with a brand new family in our church and and I was a little unsure of where they were philosophically. They come from a very, very strong independent Baptist church in another mm-hmm. city. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I don't know where they really are. But to have that conversation with them and realize that part of the reason of them coming here was for the purpose of that ministry oh, yeah. that they right. needed and they wanted and longed for. I'm starting to see God is now building his church his way rather than me trying to mm-hmm. put a square peg philosophy into a round hole of God's will. Oh, yeah. It only took us, you know, four years of yeah. trying to do ministry the old way. Yeah. Right? The, the well, way that didn't least, work, I would frankly. say definitely the first two. Definitely yeah. the first two and definitely the first six to nine months. Oh, yes. It was the driver. It was the builder. It was the evangelistic yeah. thing coming out of me. And I didn't really understand how biblical ministry and preaching would be, would shape that kind of right. All thing. we tried to do was take an idea that somebody else was doing and do it. Was well, all you know, and it didn't and I work. Think that's yeah. the interesting thing too, Jason. When you think of these young guys that are trying to get out and do their own thing, it's not a bad thing, guy. You know what you're doing is you're doing what you learn. But here you got to find your own person. Mm-hmm. You got to find your own shoes. You got to find your own way. And if you let other people dictate that, you're going to have a mediocre pulpit at best, and you're certainly going to have a hindered ministry for sure. I think that it would be better for guys to clean off the slate, not have their minds shaped by the way they were trained as much as they do shaping and forging themselves with a committed philosophy of a biblical shepherd and a biblical preacher 
and free themselves from what so much of ministry success has been labeled as and just kind of get away from that. And I think, Jason, it all goes back to the pulpit. I think the pulpit is the place. It's where you're fleshing out what really matters to you, to your people. Oh, absolutely. Because right now nobody's coming for programs. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, guys, I mean, if coronavirus didn't teach you anything, it should have taught you that the programs of your church are completely meaningless. I mean, we are program hindered. We have nothing going on Monday through Saturday at our church. Nothing. nothing. There's nothing to right. do. There's no gathering to have. There's no gym that the kids can use because of coronavirus. It literally is all about the word. Well, guess what? It was all about the word anyways. We just finally figured it out. Yeah, four so, years in. <laughs> four years in. Well, hey, thanks, guys, for listening to the Brian Sam's podcast. Again, this has been Brian Sam's your host. Thank you, Jason, for joining us today. And thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless you. We'll see you soon.